All right, good morning. Put our graphic up for today. We're going to be in first, Second Samuel chapter 1. We're starting a new chapter, uh, a new book here, but continuing along the same theme here of the history of Israel, but starting now with after the death of Saul. So let's open a word of prayer. We'll make some first comments and we'll get into it. Our Father, we just thank you for this day that we can, um, you've given us the time to come and gather around your word. Lord, we just pray that you'd speak to us and open our eyes that we might, in our hearts, that we might behold wondrous things from your law. In Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are now transitioning to a new book. Um, it's called Second Samuel. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but the book, while it is called Second Samuel, Samuel now is dead. Now, it's not beyond the Lord to give him the information well in advance, but in any case, it might have been uh, completed, the story by maybe one of his contemporaries, Gad, Nathan, of that time. But um, in any case, it's called Second Samuel. Some, uh, I've seen some ancient books even put it as First Kings, Second Kings, and what we know as one and two kings is actually three and four. But in any case, it's a, con- it's a consistent and um, complete, as it were, what, what God has deemed to put in his word of the history of Israel, and particularly the monarchy, starting with the end of the end, uh, reign of judges, um, Eli, then uh, Samuel, and then beginning with Saul, and then David. And, and really, most of the attention as far as the kings go and what was being done is given to David. David is uh, takes up a lot of the uh, a lot of the story time of the kings. Saul would be uh, during that time because he was uh, as an overlap from David. Uh, some four four or five chapters given to Solomon, but then it tapers off. Not much is said. It picks back up when there's revival. A lot of times when Josiah, Hezekiah, these kings these kings come in. There's a, there's some chapters dedicated to them. But David really. His life, his reign, his ascent to the throne is, is documented very well. In particularly, why? Because, well, the Lord Jesus Christ would come from that kingly line. Um, in particularly, from Mary and Joseph, uh, Joseph being of that king line, but also Mary being of, the, of one of other David's sons, Nathan. So um, it is a lot dedicated to that. So here we are in Second Samuel. Now, it, there is a lot of material here. And we have maybe roughly 30 minutes, 40 minutes to try to get through this. So what this is, is I, I, just, I just threw up some bullet points. We look at our, our section here. I don't know exactly the years in this, like how many years it took, or actually when this happened. I'm not even going to try to guess. But um, there's other minds that could tell you about when this was in B.C. time. But when we come to these little lines here, this gives you an idea of what, how long it actually was. This red line, particularly starting with that second bullet point, is when David actually um, is anointed king. But as we're going to see in this chapter, he's not king over the entire kingdom. He's only over his countrymen or his tribe. Well, his countrymen would be considered Israel, but it, uh, Judah is actually the one that anoints him first because simultaneously Isbosheth, we're going to find out, or in First uh, Chronicle, Chronicles, he's called Esbaal. He's anointed over Israel, so there's going to be a little bit of a of a competition or some infighting, civil war time, 
because uh, Saul's camp anoints his other son to be king. So that he's going to be reigning for two years. So in the seven and a half years where David's reigning in Hebron, he's going to actually be sharing the um, he's, his power is not consolidated. It's only going to be in Judah. But the Lord is doing something. And eventually, once that civil war is out of the way and um, Abner is dead, um, and Ishbosheth is both Abner and Ishbosheth are both murdered in these chapters. Um, De, uh, Israel then comes and anoints David through Abner's um, prompting them and bringing the kingdom back over to him. And then in the end of our of our um, section here, uh, the capital city is actually moved from Hebron to Jerusalem. Jerusalem now. You got to remind yourself that during this time, when the, when the, the children of Israel came in from Egypt, they didn't conquer the entire land. Um, there was various reasons why they wouldn't. The Lord left different um, people still in there to test them. There was also a lack of them going out and attacking and taking the land. They just were complacent. They didn't want to go any further. They said, you know what, we're fine. We're where we're at. Well, God intended them to take the entire land, but they didn't. But there's various reasons. So even in David's time, now we're coming way after Joshua comes in, right? The Old Testament Jesus comes in and gives them the land through his leading. Um, there's still uh, Ammonites living or Canaanites living in the land. And this is, they're in Jerusalem, which is called Jebus, or I think that's what it's called in uh uh, first Chronicles, but David, during his reign, his first move was to take the capital city. His second move, which will be the next speaker, was to bring the ark into Jerusalem. But that's where we're going to end up now. Other uh, notes you can see in the in the orange or in the yellow. Um, first Chronicles goes over some of the story that we see in Second Samuel and First Samuel, really. So. First Chronicles starts with the death of Saul and then continues through the line. So some of this we're going to see um, in both while it's talking and narrating the same storyline. There's little details that you're going to find out um, that you're going to find out that gives a little sheds a little more light of what's going on. So if you come across that, that's what that is. Um, the Quran is actually Chronicles, as you can see. I just didn't want to feel like writing it out and for spacing reasons. So. Um, the blue line, again, is the years that Ishbosheth was reigning, and really the kingdom was split between the two. And David was in Hebron, is the red line, up until he takes over at Jerusalem. David's reign was 40 years long, but seven and a half years, really, and two years out of that, he wasn't even over the entire kingdom. But seven and a half, he was in Hebron, and then he eventually moved over to Jerusalem. So let's open up here. Um, we are going to pick and choose what we're going to read. Um, but I encourage you to go back on your own time if you want to go and read here. Now, also, I have to uh, preface it by saying this, too. Um, sometimes, well, anybody who is um, a believer and seeking the Lord and is reading his word, you find out more and more that the, Lord, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword, right? It's available. It's a, it's a surgical tool that God uses to divide flesh, not just flesh, but also soul and spirit, right? Gets down to the very heart and core of man. And at this stage, as well as other things that God is dealing with, there's, a, there's an issue that 
the Lord's been dealing with and, and showing me is waiting on him to do things. I have this uh, tendency to kind of like, well, I see something that's out of sort or there's something that's not happening, which I think is should be happening. And I need to go out there and correct it. And Lord says, no, you know what? Let me do it when the time is right. And I don't know, maybe you're not at that stage in life. But so a lot of times I'm going back and reading through, especially a chapter like this. The Lord's just showing me this all over the pages. So you will see a lot of that bleeding through uh, from what the Lord has showed me in this part. But David especially is a champion of this. He hasn't always been because we're going to look at another story where he learned it. But he was one that kind of let the Lord work it out for him. And in the end, it's a lesson for both of us, for all of us, is that when we wait for God to act and move, it's much better rather than me uh, taking charge or trying to correct something or jumping the gun it's just, it's just going to be heartache and sorrow, and really it could get me in trouble if I go ahead and jump before the Lord's timing, take action, try to correct things. Correct, it, it just, it's better to wait for the Lord. Now, there's not, I'm not saying that there isn't a time to, to go out there and act and be zealous, but have the discernment to wait for the Lord to act, because you don't know what the Lord is doing. That's the big picture. What I'm saying is, Lord, you know what? When I wait for you, I'm putting you back on the throne. You know what's going on out there. I barely can control well, what little I can control in my own life. He has the entire human history and world to move pieces. So he knows what's going on out there. And who knows why that guy cut in front of you and made you late for work or there was an accident ahead. And there's all these things that happen in your life. You say, oh, I can get you so mad and this, this disrupts my schedule. But you know what? God understands and God knows what's ahead. And so it is... A, a, it is when we read these stories, while it's just, you can look at it and say, oh, it's just history, it's kind of boring. Well, the, God has put it there for a purpose for us to learn something from. And really, David, um, I hope I can get to it and so we don't rush to it, so I won't say too much more about that. But let's just look in Second Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1, after the death of Saul. And that's where we'll stop for now. So Saul is the beginning of this chapter, of this book. And really, what, what exactly happened is, was covered in um, the last person that took this. Um, but Saul was killed in battle. He went out to meet the enemy, which the Lord was really using him to inflict punishment of all Israel's surrounding enemies and the people around them, but in particular the Philistines. They were constantly at war with him, especially uh, in particular Saul, but he eventually is is killed in battle, not just him, but um, part of his sons, obviously not all of them, because Ishbosheth was one of them that was still around. But First um, Chronicles chapter nine, actually chapter 10 gives uh, gives a postmortem of this. And this is this is very interesting because it doesn't say this. You don't have this information in Second Samuel, but it says this. And first Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13, Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. And as I gave you the, 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 the preface of like why, you know, when I come through this and waiting for Lord, 
this is this is key point right here is that David waited for God to move. Remember, David was a very young person, maybe even a teenager. He was 30 years old when he became uh, when he was anointed king. So he was running for his life when he was a young man in his 20s, maybe even in his teenage years. He was anointed king um, by Samuel. Because God was seeking somebody because of this breach of faith or he broke faith with the Lord that he did not keep the command of the Lord. Does anybody remember what that was? Where Saul broke faith. Well, it was in the time of the Amalekites. Remember that um, God commanded him go exact punishment, uh, revenge actually on them, destroy them completely. Don't keep anything. Well, Saul decided to in his own wisdom to keep some of the good things, especially the king. But. He um, that wasn't the only thing. There was more things leading up, but that was the, as it were, the straw that broke the camel's back for him. And not only that, it's interesting to also read. You say if Saul was if God was going to dispose of him and he did, why didn't he just do it right there? I mean, it's a testimony of God's long suffering and patience with people that he doesn't just say, you know what, you did something wrong. Now, sometimes it's like that, right? Sometimes it's like that. But I leave that to God to understand, it. I mean, for him to act. But here he is. The man does obviously does, is seeking everything else except for God. And that happens in the, towards the middle beginning of Samuel. There's still many chapters left of what's going on. And God still, he still has. Them. Now, of course, David's story is another arc in the story that, that we're really following. But Saul's still there. Why? Why doesn't God just go and then bring David in? Well, I can tell you right now, David wasn't ready. There's lessons that David needed to learn. But also that God was still pleading, I think, with Saul to maybe come back or maybe uh, repent. I don't know. You know, but in any case, Saul, um, it says here that he was not, he was disposed of. And it says here that the Lord put him to death. So David waited for the Lord to actually move. Um, there were several uh, instances, at least, at least I know of two, where... David had it in his power to say, you know what? God made me king. I'm going to take it by force right now. Remember, Saul was in the cave. He was, um, Saul was out there trying to chase him down. And David happens to come upon him. And he's, he's in some kind of cave. And David sneaks in with Abishai. And he says, you know what? Abishai says, look at this. What a gift from God. He's given you in his hand. Just kill him right here and you can take the kingdom. He says, you know what? I'm going to wait for the Lord to act because I won't stretch out my, my hand against. And he uses this term that I think is key, the Lord's anointed. So if God made him king, God will remove him if he wants to. And that's important for us. God made, you know, God is moving in this world and the powers and the authorities and the bosses and everything else that's over us in our lives that we can't control and we just want to complain, oh, my goodness, I can't get the raise that I wanted. And this guy, he always looks down on me. Does God notice these things? Of course he does. They're there for a purpose. God will remove them if he needs to or move them out of the way. But he, they're there for a reason. Did David learn life lessons before he became king? Look at what it says here. I'm jumping back to Second Samuel. Now, this is a little bit, I just wanted to touch on this. This is a little bit of in the head, uh, head but there is, there's, there's a couple of murders that take place, but these people trying to gain favor with David through, 
through through this crime. But in particular, Joab, which happens to he happens to be one who is not uh, gentle, doesn't reflect his king's heart. But he's he goes out and 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 kills the the other commander of the other army when there's a civil war. But look what it says here. It says this in chapter three. It just this is in connection with what I was just saying. This is David speaking. Chapter three, verse thirty nine. This is after um, Joab has killed Abner. But look at this. David says this. I was gentle today, though, though anointed king, these men, the sons of Zeruiah, are more severe than I. The Lord will repay the evildoer, evildoer according to his wickedness. Now, this is the same man that said, when, remember when Nabal offended him? Strap on your swords. Let's go, take, let's go get down to business. I got a word with Nabal to say. And he's on his way to go out there and kill this man for not, I mean, to me, it seems pretty petty in my own mind. I mean, hey, he didn't want to give us any kind of provisions. We were out there protecting him in the wilderness. He says, who are you? And you know what? Strap on your sword, everybody. We're going to go out there and we're going to kill everybody. That's the same man saying this, that I was gentle today and these men were more severe. How did he come to that point right now? Well, God used Abigail in that moment. Remember, David's on his way to go exact revenge. And Abigail goes out to meet him. Who do you think sent Abigail out there? It was the Lord, right? The Lord moved. Now, Abigail's heart was, listen, David, he, 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 she stopped him from shedding blood at this point. Was it in David's right? I don't know. You know, you, you can be the judge of that to say, well, he deserved to die. I don't think so. Obviously not. But David was out there to go out, and he was acting very quickly. He says, you know what? I'm going to kill this guy. He offended me. Take out my sword. Abigail meets him on the way, says, you know what? Now I'm paraphrasing some of this, but you can go back and read. He says, the Lord will bring upon those who are your enemies. He will take care of them. And David says, you know what? You're right. I'm going to go back and that's it. That's the end of it. And that's the rest of the story was eventually the Lord did put Nabal to death some days later. But there was that time where David could have said in his power, he could have said, I'm going to take care of this guy myself. And could he have got to this point? Was this the same man that says, I was gentle today. These men are more severe. No, it was those life lessons that David, on his ascent to the throne, while he was a young man, that God was bringing him through. All those years of running through the caves. And, 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 and really, that's, that's the product of the Psalms that we're reading today, right? Psalms 40. It says this. I think I marked it in my Bible. But it says... I wait patiently for the Lord. I will, I'm going to make sure I quote it right. Psalms 40. This is David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my, my cry. How do you think that David, did he just wake up and say, you know what? You know, as far as being a, a, um, a human being, you know, we, we tend to at first trust in our own abilities. We want to get ourselves out of the, the hole. You know, we want to climb. We love those kind of stories, especially in entertainment. Those who start from low or they, they, there's, a, there's some kind of adversity that's impossible and they climb out through their, their, uh, their own strength. And, you know, especially in sports, you know, they, they're clutch. You know, they call it something like that. They, they, they attest to some kind of intangible feeling that, man, there was everything against them. And look at this victory that they won. Well, that's quite opposite what we find in Scripture. It's those who are waiting for actually God to move 
rather than taking action in our hand. Look at this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. Did God every single time David cried to him, do you think he always answered him in that moment? He didn't. And that's the thing where we have a hard time is we want things to happen right now. God, look at this thing that's happening to me. I'm very sick. I lost my job. All this pressure that's coming upon me. God, where are you at this moment? I waited patiently for the Lord. Who do you think taught him that? It was the Lord through those examples, through especially through the reigning king at that time being Saul. Saul chasing around on those caves. These, the Psalms we have today is a product of that time and the Lord bringing him through. And of course, the Holy Spirit was, um, was inspiring him. But David on his own life examples was writing those things because of his time when he's on his, when God was teaching him to be that gentle king. So Saul now is dead. And David um, remained two days in Ziklag. That's also um, another, I wanted to get a little bit into that, but time is running away. Uh, running away. But Ziklag is definitely another monumental uh, time in David's life. But it says, on the third day, a man came from Saul's camp who's, whose clothes were torn and he is and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell on the ground and paid homage. And David said to him, where do you come from? He says, I escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how does, how did you come? Uh, how did it go? Tell me. And he said, now, obviously they didn't have any kind of Twitter or updates and, you know, Oh, look at this battle. Oh, it's going on right now. Oh, there's this King. He's dead. So information was actually moving a lot slower and it's actually quite interesting. Um, could God reveal it to David that this was that this actually happened? Hey, David, it's time to get up and go be king. He let this happen. Right. There it is. You know, God was able to tell David right away through some means. Right. There were there were priests there. There were those people that God would would use in the mix of his camp. But God allows this to happen. Um, he answered, he says, the people fled and um, and many people have fallen uh, had fallen dead and Saul and his son, Jonathan are also dead. David said to the young man, how do you know this, that Saul and his son, Jonathan are dead? And the young man told him, he says, by chance, I, um, by chance, I happened to be upon Mount Gilboa and there was Saul leaning on his spear and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were coming close upon him. And he looked in behind him and he saw me and he called to me and I answered and I said, here I am. He said to me, who are you? I said, I am a Malachite. And he said, stand by beside me and kill me for anguish has seized me and my life still lingers. So he stood beside him and killed him. So I stood beside him and killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. So I took the crown from his head and the amulet on his arm and I brought him, brought them to here to my Lord. Now, this story might have been believable up until the point towards the end. You can kind of sense that this guy's trying to gain now favor because a lot of times if you were part of that old regime, the guy who's coming in next cleans house. It's like these guys, I can't trust them. They were part of that old group. I'm going to clean house. And this guy, um, now whether he actually killed Saul or not, I, I'm not exactly sure. But in any case, he was out there. He might have he might have been he might have actually did this. Obviously, he he added a few more details here, but 
In any case, he has the crown and he has the amulet, things that would identify that, listen, these could only belong to Saul, not just, oh, I saw him. No, he actually had some hard evidence. So David tore his clothes and all the men that were with him, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan, for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they have fallen by the sword. Now, this is interesting, too, about David. This is a man that was chasing him, trying to put him to death. Several times he made attempts on his life. And here he is tearing his clothes. And and this was a sign of extreme mourning and and sorrow for the guy who was trying to kill him. Not only that, it says here because his countrymen also died in battle too. So that's the type of man now that's going to come to the throne. He actually is weeping for those who hated him. And he actually was very sorrowful that they were dead now. What a man, right? But in any case, he, um, this, this man now is obviously gain, trying to gain favor with David. David detects this. He's, he tells his young men to put, them, put this man to death. So now David learns of this. He then records this. The, um, well, the writer then records this song that David chanted for Saul and Jonathan. It's just interesting that it's not just Jonathan who was his friend, but he, he introduces Saul to that. But now looking into chapter 2, we have this, um, this time of turmoil. This is where uh, David, listen to this in, in chapter 2. It says this, after David inquired of the Lord, uh, we'll, we'll see this quite often in David's life. This is really his, his um, what he consumed his life with is just waiting on the Lord and finding out what the Lord wants him to do. He inquires of the Lord. We don't really see this with Saul. We see this towards the end of his life that when Saul went to go to the medium, he says he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord didn't answer him. I don't know the details, but apparently he didn't do it by faith. There was something that God detected in Saul's heart, even though he outwardly was trying to inquire of the Lord. He wasn't really seeking the Lord's guidance. But David inquires of the Lord. Now, David wasn't a perfect person, right? There are his failures are quite documented well. In, in the Bible, but he inquires of the Lord. He says, now what should I do? Shall I go up into the cities of Judah? Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? He's still waiting for the Lord. Look, what, what better time now to act, David? The king's gone. Who's going to lead them? No, David says, you know what? I'm going to wait for the Lord to bring me in. Where should I go? He says, go to Hebron. So Lord, he, wants, he goes up to Hebron and he brings all his, his house he says, David brought up his men and those who were with him. Now, I'll just make mention. I wanted to talk a little about this. The men that were with him, it, it's not the 600 men that were back when he was riding around in the caves and hiding from Saul. Chronicles tells us more that there were more and more day by day people defecting from Saul's army. I mean, it's to the point where there's at least 600, maybe even somewhere between 300 and 600,000, I think, of soldiers now at this point. There's a large chunk of the army following David. Now, the core of his, his group, you know, the, the, what is it, 39 or so, the David's mighty men, those, you know, they're still there. There's, um, there's, there's Zadok, there's those priests, there's people that were discontent. They joined up with David. But the bulk of the army, there's a big bulk of it that are now following David. They defected, and it's not just all Judah. There's, there's some of Benjamin. There's some of Zebulun, and really uh, Chronicles talks about this, those that were, came over to 
to uh, follow David. And a lot of times it's the Lord changing their heart. It says this. It's very interesting that the Lord changed some of their hearts to go after David. So they went up and the capital city now for half of the nation is Hebron. But look, look at down in verse eight. It says Abner. Abner was the general of Saul's army, which happens to be, I think he's a, a cousin. I think it was when I looked at the line. He might have been a cousin or an uncle. I can't uh, it slip my, slips my mind now. But anyway, Abner was the commander of Saul's army, and he took Ishbosheth, which was Saul's son, and brought him over uh, to Mahananim. So we have another capital there in Israel, but David now is ruling in Hebron, which he's only ruling over Judah. The rest of Israel and those who have not defected to David's army are following Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth, Saul's son, verse uh, 10, was 40 years old when he began to reign in Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David, and the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of, of Judah was seven years and six months. So seven years, that's where I get my seven and a half years he was there in Hebron. Now, I don't know if you're looking through this story, you know, what exactly, how is God going to fix this? You know, again, waiting for the Lord. I mean, here's something that happened outside of now. I mean, if I'm David, I'm thinking, what in the world is going on here? Not only was I running for my life from this guy, now I'm actually king, and now I have more conflict. Something I'm sure he did not want to get into, right? He, the civil war is not something that's pretty, finding your own people. But here it is right now. Abner's taking, uh, has taken, probably, probably for his own benefit, really, he's taken somebody from the house of Saul, and he's made him king. Because a lot of times, right, he knew that Joab was commander of his army, of David's army. Where's going to be a place for Abner? We don't know. But in any case, Abner takes David's, uh, excuse me, Saul's son and makes him king. The remaining of chapter 2 is this battle um, in Gibeon. And this, this, at least in the Bible, marks the beginning of this um, interfamily conflict with, within the uh, tribes of Jacob or Israel. And... The significant thing about this in this battle is that there's a brother of Joab. Jo- uh, yeah, Joab has, there's three sons of Zeruiah, which is actually David's relative. Um, Zeruiah, I think, was the sister, I believe, of David. Um, but in any case, there's Joab, Abishai, and there's Asahel. Asahel, all of them were actually, two of them are only mentioned in David's mighty men. Joab is left out. It's very apparent because of the things and the actions that he he pursued, but Asahel is killed by uh, Abner. This is this this also is very significant. The scripture records this, but it says this because later Joab exacts revenge, and this is where that statement where I came from is that David says, "I was gentle, even though anointed king. I had every right of of, of taking action, but I waited for the Lord." So that's the end of chapter two. Looking into chapter three, it says this. It gives commentary. It says that there is long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. And so God was still doing something in David's life. There's lots of arcs here, but there was a long war. And the, the nation of Israel was fractured, but God was promoting David. He was making him stronger and stronger. And this is probably uh, at this time, Many more nation, uh, many more people, soldiers, 
uh, mighty men defected and joined David. Um, and more sons were born to him in Hebron. There's Ammon, who is very significant later in the story. Uh, and also um, it, another name to, to mention is Absalom. He's very significant later, right? There's another story about him. Um, but they're all born here in Hebron. And now there's this, there's this side story in, in verse 6. We're just kind of picking out some of the highlights here. But um, Abner goes into one of Saul's concubines, and Ishbosheth is displeased with this. So this, the, the significant thing I want to pull out of here is that um, Abner was angry over the words of Ishbosheth. This is verse 8. And he says, Am I a dog's head of Judah? Uh, to this day, I was showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, and to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. Yet you charge me a fault concerning a woman. And then it, listen to this. It says, it says, God, uh, God do so to Abner more also. If I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. This, I found this very significant. The fact is that they knew David was the anointed king by the Lord, by Samuel, while he was still alive. Yet they weren't pursuing it. I think that's pretty interesting. So there's a lot of things that God was still doing. Maybe he was moving, removing these people out of the way. I don't know. But it wasn't like they didn't know that David was supposed to be king and anointed by Samuel before he died. It's not that they didn't know. They even knew that Saul. Saul says that at one point. I know that God's going to make you king. But he said, David, please just deal fairly with my posterity right he didn't want Saul I mean he want he didn't want David to kill off his offspring but even the other part of Israel knew that David was supposed to reign but for some reason I don't know maybe Abner for his own personal gain he chose to promote one of Saul's sons which interesting that he has these two names Ishbosheth and Eshbaal um, Eshbaal is primarily only used in, in Chronicles you don't even see the word Ishbosheth but the Ishbosheth, if you look it up, I'm not an expert in ancient Hebrew, but from what I found, it's something along the sides of a son of a, of a, of a weak and frail person. So <laughs> this guy was, was, not, was not a born leader, as it were. It, it, it definitely seems that Abner was the might and the one that was pulling the strings here to, to, make, uh, to, to promote him as king, that is. But in any case, Abner has a change in heart. And he sends messengers to David. He says, listen, whom does the land belong to? In verse 12, make your covenant with me. Behold, my hand will be with you to bring you over to bring all Israel to you. And David says, good. This is great. You know, and it's interesting that David at this point, wouldn't you want to? This guy was the guy that was leading the other men against me. He's, this guy's an enemy general. You know, let's get rid of him. David says, you know, good. Let's bring him over, you know, bring him over. Again, waiting for the Lord to act and not being presumptuous and not and not overstepping. So the only thing that David asked of and it's interesting, it's not interesting, it's not just Abner, but Ishbosheth is actually included too. It looks like at this time Ishbosheth, the the other king and the other uh the other part of Israel was actually going to recognize David too, because he asked of one thing that David would restore his wife uh which was Saul's daughter, Michal which he purchased um, through some event that Saul, uh, he had to go kill uh, at least 100 Philistines. But she was given to somebody else when David ran away. But David says, you restore her to me before, um, before we make this covenant. So 
She's restored to David. And at this point, David, uh, Abner then comes to David. There's a delegation that comes to him in verse 20. And Abner and 20 men came to David in Hebron. David made a feast for them. Abner and the men who were with him. This is great. Unity again, right? Civil war is very ugly. David did not want to see this continue. He didn't want to see the death of anybody that's um, is very apparent who were his countrymen. Um, so Abner goes out. He's going to gather everybody to David. You're going to be king. So it says here that David uh, sent Abner away in peace. But just then, Joab comes back. Who Remember, Joab and Abishai had a brother named Asahel who was killed by Abner earlier in the Battle of Gibeon. Um, Joab comes back. It says here that uh, Joab and all the army that was with him in verse 23 uh, came, and it was told Joab that Abner, the son of Ner, Ner, came to the king, and the king has let him go, and he has gone in peace. And, and Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came, with, came to you. Why is this that you have sent him away so that he is gone? Don't you know Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and that all, and to know that all you're, you're doing. So Abner twisted, and you might think, well, that makes sense, right? What enemy or what rival faction doesn't want to know what the other person is doing? That's what we have today: intelligence. We have intelligent agencies that spy, that protect us from other intelligent agencies. And Job says, look, he's coming over here to check out what you're doing. He's coming over here. He's gonna, he's deceiving you, but. This is apparent because what Joab was after was really he wanted to kill him for the death of his brother. And, and not just in a way that was perhaps in battle or you would say even justified if they were fighting, but in a way that it says, Scripture says that he actually murdered him. It says this, that Joab called, uh, Joab went out in David's presence. And he sent me- messengers. Remember, Abner left David to Abner and he brought him back to the cistern of Sirah. And David did not know about it. But when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak to him privately. And he struck him in the stomach so that he died uh, uh, for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, David heard of it. And he said, my kingdom and I forever are guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon his, uh, his father's house and all. And may the house of Joab be without one who has a discharge or a leprous or who is leprous or who holds a spindle who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai put and killed Abner because they had put the because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle of Gibeon. So now the kingdom now looks like it's going to be restored. The the other uh, Saul's other son is murdered. Abner is actually now murdered. I, I'm skipping Saul's son is in chapter four, but we're about out of time. We'll just end with where we did go ahead and look ahead is that the rest of this chapter is that David mourns for Abner. You would think, well, this makes sense, right? The, the new upcoming king would want to get rid of that old government and those people that were attached to the old king. But Israel detects that it was not of David that, that Abner was killed, they knew that David was innocent because he he really was grieving over the fact that he died. And it has this little excerpt that says, why should Abner die? This is verse 30, end of 33, verse 34. Why should Abner die as a foolish dies? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. As one falls before wicked, you have fallen. 
And so there's the people have wept over him. David weeps over him. And it ends with this in verse 39. It says, I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, are more severe than I. The Lord will repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. And so we'll just, we'll just close with that, is that David came to this point in his life. There's, there's not only there's the history of the, David ascent to the throne, allowing the God to work things out. David, you know, David didn't ask to be anointed king. God picked him out. God sought him out. He sent Samuel because Samuel, not only was Samuel grieving over his own people who have now been led astray by this king. And God says, listen, Samuel, don't grieve. I'm going to search out my own king. And he goes and anoints uh, David at a very young age. And David is groomed, as it were, in God's school and in God's uh, pressured environment. As it were. And, and really, that's what the Christian life is a lot of times. There's times when there's external pressures, sometimes internal, right, internal family relationships, maybe inside uh, in some other environments. But God puts these in, uh, external pressures on us, sometimes internal to mold us and shape us to the image of his son. And really, that's what we want as a Christian. A true believer wants to be like his Savior. And so the Lord will bring us through these hard times. And David was, was molded and shaped into this man who would be after his own heart, God's heart. But it says here that I was gentle today, even though anointed king. David had every right to exact revenge on those who would oppose him. He did. He was anointed by God. He said, you know what, Ishbosheth, Abner, all these people that are against me. And there's other stories where it's very apparent that David was in the right, that he could uh, particularly think of somebody of the house of Saul when, when Absalom, this is uh, way ahead in the story, but Absalom, uh, one of David's sons, overthrows his father for a short time. But there was times where David had, had any right to go ahead and, 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 and take judgment and take revenge on something that has happened to him. But he says, I'm, I'm going to step back and wait the Lord to act. That might be a sign of weakness in amongst the world, right? That might be a sign of weakness. This guy can't, he can't stand up for his own. This guy's offended him. How can you do that? He let the Lord take, take command. But he becomes that gentle king. Um, and really, the best king in up until, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the perfect king. But in that Israel, in Israel, he was uh, one of the highlights or the only highlight. There's also Josiah, Hezekiah, and Solomon for a brief time. But there were some that were pretty good. But David really becomes the, the example where even kings that were years after him would say, you're, you're acting just like your father, David. You're just like him. And, and there's also negative examples, right? There's Jeroboam. But David becomes the shining example for the kings that come after him, that you're acting just like him. And this is just the beginning of his story. And really, it's been it's a pleasure to actually look into God's word and see that these stories, these are actually men that happened, uh, that lived, excuse me. These are events that actually happened. It's not just a history, but we can see God moving and God working. And really, we can take these examples and see what God did in their lives and apply it to our own uh, as we're all looking and living in the true believers here, of course, uh, those who are um, saved by faith, uh, through faith and are looking to be molded and shaped in Christ. Why are we here? I mean, is it just to work, live, play, have kids? Is that, is that the sole existence of human life? Well, no, it isn't. There's something more beyond, and we're in God's school. We're in God's program of being shaped, and sometimes we can be very resist, resistant to it. 
I don't like this. Get me out of it. But allow God to actually move and shape you and to, uh, as it were, as it, it, it calls, uh, um, when it's refining fine metal, right? There's fire and there's, there's pounding and there's different things that happen to it to actually get that product. And, and God has to do that sometimes because we're very tough and we're very stubborn when it comes to uh, allowing God to work in our own lives. And so David really is an example of that. So let's just close in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, these um, story and this man, David, um, whom we believe that we will see in heaven one day for sure. Um, we just thank you for these stories, Lord, that we can read and we can just kind of glance over and said, well, that, that's great. It's history. But God, we see that you you moved and you act and and it's and it's examples of for us, Lord, to not be presumptuous, not to to go out and do something rash and to get ourselves in trouble and and just to sit back and wait for you to act and well, really to wait for your leading, Lord. We we tend to want to put ourselves forward and in the limelight, and where we get impatient for you to to work and to act, Lord, in our lives and our businesses and in our marriages, Lord, and, and our kids. But Lord, we just pray that we we take David as a as an example, learn from him, that we wait on you. And as Isaiah wrote so many uh, in that chapter, chapter four, Lord, that we wait for the Lord and that you will renew our strength and that we will run as it were, and never grow weary, Lord. That's what we want, Lord. We don't want to be, we know that this life has limitations, Lord, but obviously once we die and we're in heaven, Lord, those things will be away. But, Lord, we can experience these things right now, a strength, tap into a strength that's everlasting. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your word, and we just pray that you bring us home safely. Lord, just name do pray. Amen.